This is a special edition of Grand Podcast Abyss. GPA. GPA current events. It's an idiotic statement. Just bring the agitator on in here. We just... It's too dangerous to allow him to continue to post. Nancy Pelosi took is taken on Donald Trump and Steve Bannon. Donald Trump and Steve Bannon. It's too dangerous to allow him to continue to post. You ought to ask Hillary Clinton how that turned out for them, okay? It's an idiotic statement. With John Pistelli and Sam Worthington, this is a special edition. The GPA current events starts now. When are we gonna stand up and take him on? one a couple of days ago on Oscar Wilde. Oh yeah, on the Tumblr, yeah, because somebody was like talking about the syncretic qualities of Catholicism and said that theoretically Catholicism could encompass um, the just just as Catholicism encompassed Plato and Aristotle and the whole pagan corpus theoretically in the future catholicism could just as easily encompass nietzsche and alistair crowley and these superficially anti-catholic figures and i propose that wilde particularly in his prison letter de profundis had already accomplished this synthesis by turning christ into an absolute aesthete and individualist who is most concerned with society's outcasts insofar as they were a kind of aristocracy of uh, interesting sinners. Right. Isn't the draw of Catholicism that you don't have to be puritanical about your desires? Yeah. <laughs> There's a place for you. Yeah. People incapable of guilt do <laughs> tend to have a good time. Right. <laughs> or at least people certain of its absolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's my that was my take on Oscar Wilde. I love Oscar Wilde. He would he would fit right in today in so many ways. Somebody once said, uh, if he were alive today, he'd go to jail for more than two years, considering the age of his lovers. But <laughs> that's one of the, those Emersonian historical updates where <laughs> you retain the ideal, but you just update the forms. Right. So, <laughs> so he'd find something permissible to the <laughs> historical context. Right. Yeah. That's what all those um, post-left girls go for. They they have a grade school fetishization. Yeah. Real skinny and mm -hmm. clad and academical mm -hmm. proper garb. Yeah, there's all sorts of Wildian currents on the post left. There's one interesting personality on Twitter who's a... I don't know how this person defines him or herself. Um, I won't say them because that's a left-wing identity, but this is like a Catholic right-winger who I think is a trans girl, but maybe defines herself as just a femi gay boy. And I think that her Twitter profile is Castrato for God. But she posts a lot of pictures, or he, and is basically, to look at her, you know, you, you this is always hard to talk about, but this is not a, an offendable person. I'm not worried about offending this person. To me, she's like a super passing trans girl, and all these right-wing guys that follow her, like, want to fuck her and are, like, 
torn up about it and she's very like or he is very wildy and, and quippy it's interesting yeah agent of chaos no doubt yeah <laughs> where do we find order <laughs> where do we do we do we need to find order <laughs> no probably probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that all depends on how enjoyable the chaos is right <laughs> I have a, the I chaos, have a... <laughs> chaos tends to have a what's the what's the uh, economics term chaos tends to have a law of diminishing returns that is true yeah Another thing I posted about on Tumblr is we know we we've talked a couple of times about the post left and it's obviously starting to fragment a little as they I think get closer to certain types of victories and mainstreaming and electoral victory and you're starting to see you know an order in a chaos party form there and so like JD Vance there was an article the other day about how he thinks we should ban porn um, which I thought was really funny because he came out with his tweet thread about how we can't have gun control because your, you know, your Second Amendment right is absolute. And so how are you going to ban porn without violating people's First Amendment rights? But then on the other side, you have our our sister podcast, The Perfume Nationalist. And he was like, these moralizing trads are the same as the left and I hate them and we need a psychedelic 20s of, uh, as he put it, gays, guys, and girls uh, to create art and freedom. So that's the the chaos party. Well, they sound like leftists who want to be bullies, so they associate with right-wing <laughs> yeah. cruelty. <laughs> right. But they want all the left-wing <laughs> pleasures. Right. But they want to have no conscience of, about cutting people down and yeah. being sadistic. Yeah, that's probably my side. <laughs> so you're, uh, what would it be? Culturally sadistic. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sadistic. And economically, but... <laughs> you're not, but that, those, those people are. Yeah, some of those people that's are. That's a draw. Yeah. It's just that people, you know, they really want to be mean. Mm -hmm. There's a vitality to meanness, especially if it's never face-to-face. -face. Right, yeah. But I, I'm very skeptical about the power of the state, whether it's the right or the left that wants to wield it over moral gray areas. Yeah. Peter Navarro got arrested. Oh, yeah. That was uh, that was absurd. Uh, that was clear political persecution. I think they're going to um, use him as a scapegoat. Probably, yeah. He's, that, he actually might be. <laughs> he, that actually might have been his purpose the whole entire time. <laughs> you mean for the Bannon side, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Bannon's side to prepare this right slab of meat for <laughs> to absolve or um, propitiate the DOJ. Yeah, because um, he's a loose cannon, like genuinely. He's like yeah. Bannon plays a loose cannon, but Navarro is a loose cannon. Yeah, I think Navarro's been groomed to be <laughs> sacrificed at the altar of MAGA crimes. <laughs> right, and it's a slab of meat which. They've mutually prepared to toss to the MSNBC yeah. bloodthirsty hordes. Right. Well, it's always funny. If you just listen to the Bannon podcast, you wouldn't know this. But if you ever see a video clip when he, when they're on and Navarro's going on some kind of a rant, Bannon's always like on the edge of his seat. He's got like his hand 
just poised to like interrupt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like he's, he's worried what this guy's going to say next. Um, yeah, everything about his physiognomy and his physiology screams running from the law. <laughs> yeah. He's got a man, I wish I had that physique. He's 72 years old or whatever, and he wears those tight muscle shirts. Well, that's what you get for <laughs> running from the law. <laughs> right. Ella. That's what you get for being a liar and getting away with it. That's the the endorphin, the, the fat-burning endorphins of criminality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And illicit consumptions. Um, again, there's a sadistic strain. There's a sadistic strain. Can we just bring kindness back into politics? I don't just, see how. Does it have to be ruthless and manipulative? Uh, yes, I think it does. It does. <laughs> but see, here's the difference for me is the ruthlessness that people enjoy and aestheticize, like all the, all those menaces, online menaces on the right and the left, enjoy it. They drink it in like sacrificial blood. And in the ruthlessness that is comes out of respect and love. Like I was watching, there's a Russian martial arts, I think it's Sambo. Mm-hmm. I was watching this tutorial video on Sambo. And this little Eurasian man, he was like 5'6", kind of looked like Peter Navarro. He was shredded. <laughs> he was a fucking black belt in Sambo. It's <laughs> just this, you know, cross, east-west, martial arts discipline. And he was talking about how to throw a punch. And I guess you throw a punch through the rotation of the torso. And and the arm doesn't move too The arm doesn't fire too much from the elbow, but it's like a general rotation where the energy source begins from the core and then travels and projects through the fist and it has like a heaviness and a full body uh, impact to it and he was saying he was saying this punch this punch doesn't hurt this punch heals (laughs) this punch is supposed to heal because the way that i'm generating the energy it's not of malice or contortion or spasmodic or neurotic or unconscious or violently minded retribution that i throw this this punch it comes from a full spectrum discharge of physical energy and it's supposed to move and heal heal the recipient yeah heal the recipient of the blow in what way? I don't know. I mean, practically, physically, maybe it, maybe it puts a, a joint back in place, or oh, okay. maybe it rids yourself of an embodied trauma. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the practical, physical, the yeah. practical, physical. I think that's what all cruel people think they're doing, though. Well, I. But my point with that is, I think there is a type of swift violence or authority that is healing. Yeah. That because it comes from a core energy of or mm-hmm. it comes from a, a place of established boundaries and respect that is connected to an ultimate good. And I'm I don't want to go blindly applying that to the current manifestation of the American state. I see that in 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 eras of the history of the American state and I certainly believe in like the constitutional allotment for that sort of healing punch Mm -hmm. to the citizen (laughs) such as like 
such as most World of World War II. Yeah, well, most of the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our dialectic between a prosperous free enterprise system, which everyone has equal access to under the law, not always, but towards that ideal, and then an active state, which did a lot of legwork to safeguard geopolitical security, and then will will accommodate the domestic population when it's necessary so the dialectic between the state and the free enterprise i think mm-hmm. um, but that was experienced as cruelty by a lot of people i know and i, and I don't want to make the argument that that punch that they were on the receiving end was healing mm-hmm. but then look how many minorities today and how many people from countries we've ravaged willingly travel over here to live and start lives and yeah, I mean, and I've, you know, this you're not supposed to say this, but I've talked to people from uh, from countries that the U.S. and the U.K. conquered, more or less, and they they lived prosperous middle-class lives, and so they saw it dialectically in that way, that, that there was a kind of, like, historical necessity for that intervention, which is what Marx, I mean, Marx writes this in his writings on India, um, that imperialism was brutal and cynical, but ultimately would conduce to this development. Um, that was Edward Said's case against Marx and Orientalism. Um, I just, for me, it's like, um, you know, Kierkegaard's critique of Hegel that like, okay, this is all true if you stand back 10,000 feet, but every individual has an individual life to live. And if you got shot with a depleted uranium bullet, or your kid got droned, uh, you can't think about the historical dialectic in that way. That's your that's your agony. Absolutely. And that metaphor of the healing punch, I I didn't I did not intend to scope it out to the full history of the United States <laughs> <laughs> and its and its crimes and and um, victories. But in the sense of the domestic political wars right now and the realignments that seem to be happening on both sides, I like that metaphorical metric of, yes, you've proven that you can throw a punch and swift authority and force that borders or at least implies violence is necessary to enter any sort of political struggle, like as a faction or a movement or a party. Um, but can you prove to the to your um, followers or in your detractors, can you ultimately prove that your punch is the punch that heals? <laughs> because everyone's punching. Right. But which one comes from the deepest place or which one comes from... Yeah. What are the motivations of your punching is it to heal or is it just to destroy right yeah i mean here's an incredibly mundane and stupid and gossipy example but there is a little scandal among the journalists on twitter this week um which i find i find journalists on twitter better than better than reality tv um so do you know david weigel mm-hmm historian of prog rock, sort of resident dirtbag leftist of the Washington Post political mm-hmm. reporters. So because he is like the 
the stand-in for the dirtbag left tendency in mainstream journalism. His Twitter presence is a little bit edgy, even though when, like, when pressed, he will defend Taylor Lorenz or transgender rights or something. But, like, his, his mainline presence is a little bit edgy, I think because they want to keep some of that stance in there. And so this week he retweeted the following joke. This is offensive. Uh, he retweeted. Well, don't say it. No, I'm going to say it. <laughs> Every woman is bi. You just have to figure out if it's polar or sexual. So he retweets that. And then <laughs> and then um, he his one of his female colleagues publicly wrote mm -hmm. nice to work in a place where someone can reach is allowed to retweet this mm -hmm. and so then he had to issue an apology for the quote unquote harm he had done well you know um, what would be great is if there was a third by what's that a bipartisan bipartisan <laughs> 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 that's funny um and there was a lot of debate about this. So I, for me, I don't think a, a, a reporter should be making a, even endorsing a, like, take my wife, please level of stupid joke, even though I, I think it probably was a funny joke, all told. Something was um, going on with him, though, when he wrote that. Yeah, we didn't write it. He just retweeted it. Oh, he retweeted it. Yeah. Oh, well, something happened to him. Yeah, probably. <laughs> something happened to Dave. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you laugh at that joke, something happened something, to you. <laughs> something either really good happened to Dave or something right. either really bad happened to Dave. <laughs> um, and so... And then other people were like, well, this is, you know, and I thought it was interesting that he, because um, I don't, how can I put it? I think it was probably for a person in his position, probably, as they say, inappropriate. But I also think the public shame and rebuke was likewise kind of inappropriate because each compromises in a way, the institution each brings a certain disrepute on the institution by sort of obtruding this personal sense of 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 grievance either way. Um, and it, but it's interesting that he didn't feel he had enough clout to be like, "See, I'm going to Substack." Well, yeah, I don't know the economics of that ecosystem, but. Um... Surely he, that was an externality. Yeah. Was Dave Weigel making a, a misogynistic joke. Right. It interrupted the, the contractual understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't. Um, Sorry, that's a little far from the healing punch, but you see what I'm getting at about the. Yeah, that wasn't the healing punch. There should have been a way to say that you can't retweet that. Well, Dave Weigel, man, the thing about those guys. I don't know. What do you think? Well, what do you think about cynicism as a as an element of these culture wars? I think. Is it the most important one? Yeah. Well, because if that's the best. That's one of the quickest ways you can recruit. Is you can be really cynical about things. Yeah. And almost in that gnostic way, give people the secret knowledge that everything you see is corrupt and there's an untold nether surface mm -hmm. which is being hidden from you. Yeah. And all the actions and the unfolding events of 
this overt exterior, the body politic, are actually corrupted and connected to these inner machinations that we alone, through our critical lens, have the ability to apprehend. Well, what's it's a rush? What I th- it is a rush. What I what I think is disreputable about there there's because both both uh, both the sort of like dirtbag left and the post left use the cynicism. What I don't like about the dirtbag left is the cynicism is itself cynical, where it's we see through everything. We're going to make fun of everybody. We're going to tell endless let's go Brandon jokes and like how funny we think Trump is. But there's always this hidden that they never come out and say, but it's underlies every word that and you're still going to vote for the Democratic Party. Whereas where some of the post-left people ended up, and I, I mentioned the perfume nationalist, and I think this is true of Amy Therese as well, I think is a little bit more honorable position, which is they were like, well, there's only two parties, and for these reasons, given the the power the Democrats usurped during the pandemic and the stranglehold of the woke on culture, we think right now you need to vote for the Republicans. And they say that outright. And I feel like yeah. that's more honest. So you got, well, you got, but it's also more inflexible. So what would you rather have as a top five attribute of your subversive political movement of choice? Would you rather have, would you rather have, um, disingenuousness, as is the case in the dirtbag left, or would you have inflexibility, as as is the case in the post-left? For me, I'd rather not have the nagging suspicion that there's something I'm, something being concealed. Well, that's, when are we ever free from that? Well, that's true, too. The layers keep on... That's true, too. Being deposited over our psyches. Right, right. There's no end to the <laughs> complexities. Of also, we've never said one way or the other who anybody should vote for. Um, <laughs> but it's case by case. Is it? Yeah, just like history. <laughs> now you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> but for me as a governing, if I'm thinking rationally as a group of people who have qualities of mind, which to me are important for the consistency, preservation, and perhaps even improvement of a state. Inflexibility is just about the last thing I want. Mm -hmm. And I know they're expressing that in a propagandistic way, and I understand that, and I understand that for recruiting reasons and for reasons of ideological commitment. It is sort of a Marxist. It's one of these Marxist characteristics that they've carried over is obstinacy and inflexibility. Yeah, I might have that too. (laughs) Irresolute. But as as far as wanting that in Republican, smaller Republican leaders, it's probably like the last, sort of like in a Democratic consensus-based civil society, it's probably one of the last attributes I would want in a, I think you're, I think when you say case by case, I think you're right but over time rather than in any given election. So um, I'll, I'll pull a drink on you because I'm like 15 years older than you. Um, I It's just uh, just unbelievable that the Republican Party would be the relatively anti-war party. 
mm-hmm. uh, if you started out thinking politically in 2002. So I think these things kind of change over time and you change with them. But there's only two parties. So you don't vote. You do a third party vote, which I've done uh, in the past, or you vote for one of the two parties. Yeah. The system's a little inflexible in that respect. Well, absolutely. That well, that might be the healing punch. But back <laughs> back to back to just to the healing punch. The reason I threw those elements in tandem is because I don't think that I like. I'm stroking myself right now because I like that <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> I, I like that I'm punching myself right now <laughs> because I like this metaphor and I like it as a criteria for aspirations to legitimacy or Mm -hmm. some yes we know you can punch but does it heal yeah Um, very serious question and i wonder my thesis right now is that cynicism as a core um commitment recruiting tool element of style that alone disqualifies a movement from being able to access or obtain the, the, or deliver the healing um, cynicism. I Too much cynicism, you cannot throw a healing punch. It is just a punch. I, I, I am almost with you except for the role played by fervor, sincerity, fanaticism mm-hmm. in our politics that you saw... First with the war on terror and second with the pandemic. And I feel like the more cynical people were correct in those two cases. Often they are. Yeah. Um, and and I feel like I feel like um, in politics, negativity is important in the sense of um, you want what I mean by negative is is you want power. You want to have a way of constraining power so that it's absent in some cases. Um, and in the case of, a, of an unjust war or of an overreach of some kind, I think that negative moment in politics is really important. And I think we've seen so much of that over the 20th century, mm-hmm. so much state power wielded so overbearingly, so unjustly, mm-hmm. um, left, right, and center. You know, everybody knows about the left and the right, but I think a lot of America's worst things were centrist yeah. activities. Um, so I, I just think that cynicism can can help produce that 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 healing negativity. Maybe, maybe, but maybe in a cultural aesthetic context, maybe in the hands of individual writers and readers. But I think as a as a mainstay of a of a political movement's relation with its followers and supporters. Mm-hmm. That becomes, and you're right that it, these cynicisms, they are often correct, but they are often true, and the apprehensions in them are useful and cutting, and are delivered in memorable ways, and and scramble people's assumptions. That's the point. But I've noticed with movements that take that potent effect that's delivered by the cynicism 
and continued to try to feed off of it or try to create sort of redundant internal systems of cynicism, which keep people enamored and committed to their movement. Mm -hmm. It's like trying to live off of Pop Rocks and Dr. Pepper or like... It's not, you can't live off of that as a movement. It begins to fail. Well, where, that, where like you, Tucker Carlson. Oh, okay. It's like 15 minutes of a cynical tone. Yeah. Um, most of, Bannon does it a little differently, um, but that that movement is so cynical. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Tucker is cynical because he <clears throat> probably doesn't believe what he's saying and because it's, there's negativity and he leaves unspoken the alternative to what he's critiquing. I think I don't watch him all the time, but my impression is that. And I'm not, I don't think Bannon does. Well, but. my claim is not that it's – I'm not making a moral claim and I'm not even making a truth claim. Mm-hmm. Like th- these are the tools with which they disseminate lies. I mean that's there, but that's not my objection. My objection is that it, it's a rush. Right. Or it's a. It's not fuel, real fuel. It's not what I want to trust in a political movement to be fueling itself. So let me sketch an alternative. Would yeah. you prefer Tucker Carlson comes out and his opening monologue is ten minutes of what, not what they're doing? Look how look at look at libs of TikTok. Look at this drag queen at the mm-hmm. kindergarten. But you would rather, you think it would be healthier to have fifteen minutes of here's what would work here's what we should do here's what i'd like to persuade you of yeah here's, here's what, what we should here build. are the good things the other side did here's what actually happened here's the potential consequences here's a, a mature and subtle expression of my values uh-huh. <laughs> that, that, the form's going to work against them yeah better, well of uh, course television and there's so there's so many reasons but it is such a rush and it's so addicting for this movement since like hyper it's like the quantitative easing of propaganda mm-hmm. is cynicism it just pumps into the system right and i think in such a way that we've almost seen it's weird how this has happened but we've almost seen it replace this is the replacement theory <laughs> We've almost seen it. This, these cynical movements replace what used to be the job of actual, like, fourth estate journalism, which is information and and um, and reporting of of facts and news. Mm-hmm. Which, even as I say that, I feel like the ideological specter of what these cynical movements have successfully erected bear down on me and say well it's never been objective yeah or it's not i was just about (laughs) to say that (laughs) and so you'd like the success of that but that's a stunning that's a it's a parasitic development and it comes out of an artificial mostly aesthetic stylistic tool like the cynic Mm -hmm. goes all the way back to greek he's like the dog i think it's something like kane like some sort of dog who just bites on the ass of all these idealist philosophers and mm-hmm. doesn't give a shit i mean it goes it's mostly it's kind of it's kind of vagabond shit actually yeah it's like it's not a likable part traditionally in western civilization it's not cynic has not been the 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 celebrated figure right, like, right. for a reason like yeah so but now it's it's sort of parasitically and 
and they all and I'm not again I'm not objecting morally and I'm not objecting on like truth claims but I'm objecting on, like it will not work you will yeah, run that, out of fuel that's the strongest argument because you don't have to you don't have to make a moral evaluation to say we went to the moon 50 years ago and we're that's not happening now uh, so obviously something has failed something has some some quality of aspiration of organization of uh, being able to see over the horizon, something has failed. And it appears that the very infrastructure of the society is falling apart, literally. I see this stuff as a mind-altering substance akin to, you know, the menu of addictive substances that are coursing through American society. I see it fitting within that those um, addictive phenomenon within the last 30 40 years i see it as delivering like a similar type of effect mm -hmm. um crack meth yeah sure yeah. the illegal drugs fast food video games right all of the all the things i see Porn. yeah <laughs> i see um sensationalized hyper propagandistic personality driven grievance based um totally charismatic um, fraudulently appearing as as news and journalism type of cynicism that has begun to replace um, fourth estate journalism I see that within this menu of addictions mm -hmm. because it functions it's like the same it makes no one smarter right it's all sensational right it's all of the body and if, you, if me and you could find a way to tap into it, if me and you really wanted, we could spend the next two years figuring out a way to sensationalize and aestheticize yeah. and build. And we would have that sort of craving, compulsive um, dynamics on our mind. How do we trigger those irregardless of truth? Yeah. Yeah, we probably should. No, we probably <laughs> <laughs> Money's sake. Um, but the, the problem is that what you'd have to build to counteract that would have to start in people's earliest education with some kind... I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about, uh, my Catholic education, mm -hmm. um, like the training of the body. Um, I remember I we talked about a little bit of my background on the Toni Morrison episode, but so I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through eighth grade and then public school from... 9th through 12th. And I went to a very small Catholic school and it was very rigorous and very regimented. Sometimes there was even still physical uh, violence from the nuns. Um, but just to give you a, one picture, when we changed classes, the teachers would walk out into the hall and one would stand at one end, one would stand at the other, and like three would stand in the middle. And you would have to circulate in a very regimented way around the hall so there's not kids running across the hall uh and nobody ever nobody ever crossed the hall you had to go around in this circle okay so by the time i'm 14 years old i cannot fucking wait to get out of this school i can't wait to go to public school to dress how i want to cross the hall uh to explore uh, atheist literature all these things 
And I then, so I go from a very small Catholic school to an enormous suburban public school. I think there were 2,000 people or something in my graduating class or something. That might be an exaggeration. It was a huge public school. And I get there, and all the ninth grade teachers constantly remarked to the students, uh, you're not in the public middle school anymore. There's got to be some order and there really was an incredible amount of chaos in the halls, like people running, people you know, like beating each other. And they would say to me Sniff and glue. Sniff and glue. And they would and they would say to me and some of the other kids who had come because a lot of kids did come into this school from Catholic school, because Catholic school is expensive. So our parents were like, You can't go to Catholic school anymore, we can't afford it. Um, and they would say, You who went to Catholic school, you're so much calmer. You learned grammar. You learned English grammar. They don't teach English grammar in, mm -hmm. the, in, the, in the public school. Uh, you have your multiplication tables memorized. Like we can just see looking at you that there's a difference between you and the people who've been in public school from kindergarten. It's proximity to Christ. <laughs> See, I didn't, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say I'm literally agnostic on that and I'm going to say that there's something I'm going to take a more Foucault-like mm. perspective and say there's something that like lodged in my body from not being allowed to walk across the hallway for 9 years, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like something like that is what you would have to do to forestall the spread of this kind of uh, hijacking of the system by these addictive tendencies. How so? Sorry. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Say more. Say more. Um, I just mean that this capacity for some kind of disciplined self-control comes early. And if it doesn't come oh, early, yeah. it's hard to get it later. Well, here's my question is, is if I'm U.S. intelligence. Oh, boy. <laughs> and we're not saying we are. Uh, if, if I'm U.S. <laughs> intelligence. I'm looking at the current arrangement, and I'm looking at the cynically induced mass movements of fervor. And I'm looking at their potencies, and I'm looking at the nature of the technology. And then I'm looking at how the establishment has been losing grip of democratic consensus around certain basic features of truth. Um, and I wonder, do I... <laughs> because the fourth state journalism... And, as much as there's narratives about it being wedded to U.S. state power, it does have <clears throat> equally, if not more, antagonistic history to mm -hmm. state power. Mm -hmm. People don't think about that, or that's easily, you know, refuted or belittled. But if I see the especially with this new era of technological conditions, that if I see the rise of this new effectiveness of mass control of the population through these these new developments in media, which probably what I'm thinking of the U.S. state is probably you have to fight fire with fire. You can't really do a, have a renaissance of um, 
Peter Jennings and Tom Brokaw and Cronkite in the Post and the Times in sort of this remarkable 40, 50-year general consensus about the affairs of the U.S. society after the war. It's probably not going to be a thing that we return to mm-hmm. because of technology. <clears throat> and so for them, the calculus is probably more along the lines of fight fire with fire. Mm-hmm. So now you're entering in a situation where the U.S. state begins to do things domestically that it has maybe done before but towards more uh, minority and targeted populations, but things the U.S. state will be doing domestically in terms of psyops and and, and propaganda that it usually has reserved for, for work that it's done overseas. Now, and probably being forced to be in that to play that hand. Yeah. That's not, to me, that's not a great outcome. No, I I just, um, so when we're recording this, it hasn't come out yet, but maybe by the time we release it, it will be out. I, I read an article for Tablet about this um, uh, because, did you see that article, the PSYOP, the fourth PSYOP group of the, no, it was not an article, it was a video. Did you see that video, the fourth PSYOP group of the U.S. Army? released uh, I think about a month ago it was ostensibly a recruiting ad for people to come into the the PSYOP wing of the army but it was this experimental video with all of this surreal imagery of ghosts and clowns a lot of things that connected back to QAnon uh, tropes and images and it had this creepy song, and it has images of, you know, um, of, it showed the evolution of warfare, and it showed knights on horseback, and then American GIs coming out of a, you know, a, a, a truck, and then the next image was just fingers scrolling a screen, and it said, all the world is a stage, and it said, you'll find us in the dark, and it said a message in the stars. That's badass. And uh, and and, I, <laughs> and and my question was, um, what what are they doing? Um, Who was doing the CIA? No, this is the army. And and that's why I initially thought because a lot of people They're trying said, to get Latinx kids into theater, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and there were images from like that were reminiscent of the Joker movie. There are images that were reminiscent of like this new like art horror trend like Midsommar and these kinds of movies and and like I said there was QAnon there was obvious QAnon stuff in there um, especially the clowns because for the QAnon the clowns are the CIA and so my first thought was oh this is right wing military intelligence firing a shot across the bows of the woke CIA that was like my first instant because mm-hmm. um, it showed a clown it, it didn't portray clowns very positively um and uh, but I wrote an article for Tablet just saying that whatever they thought they were doing, and maybe they just thought we'll make an experimental film and that'll bring some smart, artsy kids into the army because we need to diversify the recruiting base. But they released it on Twitter and YouTube, and whatever they think they're doing, they're spreading paranoia. I think deliberately. This this to me is a psyop. Um, and so why are they just trying to? Because you mentioned what the government did to minority populations. I think when people look at what like COINTELPRO did to like the Black Panthers, one of the ways they broke up those movements 
was to make their influence seem bigger than it was. So everybody thought everybody else was a fed or an informer. Mm -hmm. And so if you just spread enough paranoia, you can demobilize people Mm -hmm. whether you're there or not. Yeah. Yeah, my point is that as as a brutal, compartmentalized weapon within U.S. state intelligence, which these tactics and capabilities were for most of the post-war period, I have moral and political objections to, on one hand, but I also am open-minded and about what it takes for a state to preserve its own interests, and am willing to, if it's contained and reasonably successful, I'm willing to at least accommodate or tolerate those injustices within like my total belonging mm-hmm. as a US citizen. <laughs> sure. So and it's not it's not yeah. with great pleasure, not it's not <laughs> right. with the sadistic pleasure, but it's with just sort of the practical bounce of a real yeah day to day existence of a very effective and powerful state. There's only so much reality mankind can bear. Or like so <laughs> Eliotic, like, just working for hoping mythologizing it, hoping it stays generally far away from me uh, right this is this is the relationship i would like with intelligence with something like intelligence but my point is the fact that we've faced and you could say chicken or egg or you could say which one is at fault or you could say this has been going on longer than you know sam and you're and and we're just getting ready for the for the thunderstorm whatever it is fine but the fact that because of this ins- nationalist insurgent um, um, pugnacious um, inflammatory illiberal movement whether the CIA has wanted this domestic enemy or not that's uh, like I said I don't know that but they've been forced to now expand those practices I just mentioned and those techniques I just mentioned into kind of a general civil war mm. um and that, to me, is not what I want. Right. And wh- whichever side is to blame, but I also see the necessity in the state for um, uh, exacting these measures and building these capacities. I do. I'm not a, I'm not a fucking right-wing and liberal Russia lover. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> I, I, see, I see the necessity, but I would rather it not be here now. This is right. not, not cool to uh, me. I guess my—I mean, I have a— Different. I think we've established, I have a slightly different basic read on who, what the situation is and who started it. I think maybe just because where I live and where I work, I, I feel the threat of the illiberal left more viscerally. Because um, I think I said to you once that I wouldn't, I wouldn't encounter one of these people if I didn't go on the internet. I would not encounter uh, a serious illiberal. Yes, you would. Do you think? Oh, yeah. Okay. They're... But then a 300-foot radius is probably... 300 feet. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the next building. I know. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, and, and I think that... Okay, let's talk real brutally. Let, you know, maybe people can call me a neoconservative or whatever, and I'm not. I, my, my tendencies are actually extremely libertarian, if anything. But um, let's just talk real brutally. I think that... Would concern what would concern me 
is an inability to project a credible utopian image on the part of the state. And I feel like part of what's dragging them back is the illiberal left who delegitimizes the founding of the state so that every resource you've drawn from the past is revealed as corrupted. The meaning of every institution is slavery and genocide. But even at that, if they projected a utopian image, Star Trek, uh, you know, to take the classic 60s example, would people believe it? Would people like it? Would people want it? Um, there seems to be some aesthetic lack now. See what I'm getting at? I see what you're getting at. Yeah, these these are troubled times. <laughs> and sometimes I don't know who to trust. Yeah. But in those moments, I always remember what one wise man said to me in the in my times of darkness trust yourself who said that bob dylan <laughs> nice <laughs> trust yourself i thought it was going to be emerson close enough no yeah. 